It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Your girdle left me in a way that would let me respect you, but that was too much to ask. Could have had a conversation instead of trash in the relationship, but that was just too massive a task. I might not have been all sunshine and flowers, but a line for all your lies would make the song last for an hour if you left me with a little respect. Then I might have a little left for you. You could have gotten lost without a cost to my happiness, but you had to act a fool. Could have had a friend till the end of your days, but you had to go and be a tool. <laughs> this is uh, the musical stylings of Joy Damiani. You ever have someone that you've never met, that you've never spoken to, but as soon as you read about them, as soon as you heard their voice, you knew you were going to be friends with them, and you knew that you could be friends with them if uh, things had gone in a different direction. If for me, Joy Damiani is one such person. She is a fascinating person, a writer, a podcaster, a musician, someone who was recruited as a teenager into the U.S. Army out of Syracuse months after September 11th and has had a fascinating journey, not only in the military, but certainly since leaving uh, since leaving the military. And it strikes me on Veterans Day that she's as uh, as good of a person to speak to as anyone. Uh, Joy, it is so great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. So, uh, Joy, tell folks a little bit uh, before we talk about your writing, your podcast, your music, and what you've been doing um, recently. Tell folks about your time in the military. How'd you end up in the Army? What'd you do in the Army? Well, I ended up in the Army kind of as a best option for me, as I thought. I was recruited out of community college and Onondaga Community College for any of your listeners who have spent any time upstate. Um, and it's it's a heavily recruited from college. And um, I was called by a recruiter and he said, what are you studying? And I said, well, I would like to study journalism. And he said, well, I can get you a journalist job in the Army. And I was 19 and fresh out of reform school. And I thought, you know, this way I could actually be paid for being repressed (laughs) because I was dealing with a lot of that from my family. And um, it led me on a a whole adventure, (laughs) I got to (laughs) say. So what did you do? What was your role once you were in the military? I was in public affairs, which is not journalism, Um, (laughs) as anyone who has lived a little bit of life knows. um, But the Army calls journalism and public affairs the same job. So my job was essentially propaganda, but like internal propaganda. It was my job was to write articles and, um, you know, create news public news like publications that were essentially cheering on the military and um, telling my fellow soldiers what a good job we were doing, even though we 
were not. Uh, I, I would say, actually, I would say individual soldiers were probably doing the best any of us could uh, with the situation. But the military, uh, we were definitely not winning. <laughs> uh, obviously, in the aftermath of September 11th, uh, there were a couple of major wars that the army was involved in, namely Afghanistan and Iraq. What was your role in either of those two conflicts, if any? Well, when I first joined, it was shortly after 9-11, and Iraq was not even in the public consciousness. And it was actually when I was in training for Army Public Affairs um, as you know, an enlisted Army Public Affairs specialist, so basically like nobody of any influence, um, is when the ramp-up started happening to the Iraq War. I was reading, you know, some of the news, but also The Onion, because I was always uh, more interested in the, the lighter side of darkness. <laughs> and um, and I was, you know, reading all of these hot takes on Iraq and then reading The Onion's take. <laughs> and, um, and I... And then, and then I found out I was being sent to a unit that was going to deploy to Iraq. And I didn't end up going to Iraq until 2005. But when I got there, I realized, um, first of all, we were not the good guys. We were occupying and we were invaders and occupiers of, of, of a nation that um, had no interest in having us as its um, occupying force. And um, so... All of the, all of the things I had heard about the military, as far as like in the past, with you know, I considered the old wars, right? Like World War II, mm. Vietnam, Korea. Um, I thought of Vietnam as like the bad war, and I thought we had learned our lesson. And then at the time I got to Iraq, I realized we had not learned our lesson. This was essentially the same thing, um, but with um, a smarter PR team that I got to be part of. <laughs> well, what, what part of my things... job was... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Well, part of my job was also to train soldiers on how to speak to the media. Um, and so the U.S. Army, by the time I got in, had learned its lesson from Vietnam. Like, you can't just give journalists access to the war and to the soldiers. Um, you have to embed them and make sure that the people who talk to them are only the people who have been trained to talk to them and trained to say the right things. So it was part of my job to train soldiers to say the right things and to keep the media away from soldiers who had not been trained to speak to them about our messaging. You know, it's funny. One of the things that um, people that want to praise veterans, and I and I try to praise veterans as much as anybody, uh, but one of the things that uh, I n- never say, even though I value the experience of veterans and I appreciate the fact that uh, folks have been w- willing to voluntarily put their, you know, their lives on the line, one of the things that a lot of folks say is, uh, they they were fighting for our freedom. Now, you w- served in Iraq, and a lot of other people served in Iraq and Afghanistan, but our freedom really wasn't at stake in no. Iraq and no. Afghanistan. So I've never really said that, uh, because I didn't yeah. feel like if we weren't in Iraq or Afghanistan that our freedom was any more at risk than it was if we were there. So, uh, I mean, is that yeah. – am I off base at all? You're not off base at all. In fact, I would say that 
no U.S. war has been for our freedom. I mean, other than the original, you know, overtaking and genociding of the uh, Native Americans who would have been like, hey, you can live here, too. Um, but, it, you know, but even that wasn't for, quote, unquote, our freedom. We would have been free to live here as long as we were not genociding anybody. So um, the way I see it is no war that the U.S. has begun is for anyone's freedom except for the military industrial complex's freedom to continue. That was what I saw in, in Iraq was, you know, we're here to be here. We're not here for anyone but us. <laughs> so Unfortunately, you wrote a book um, about uh, the lessons that you learned in the army. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you learned in the <laughs> army? Uh, I mean, one of the major lessons I learned is that the army is, you know, is not a place where you go to defend anyone's freedom. Like we were just saying, it's um, the army is what I I call it the largest terrorist organization in in the world. And also, you know, ironically, the largest socialistic organization in in the nation um, because of the way it's set up. But really, the U.S. Army as it is right now, I mean, it's it's essentially it's it's fueling the ability to stay at war. Um, The U.S. Army's job is to stay at war and to stay, um, you know, getting those billions and billions of tax dollars that should be going to healthcare and education um, and, and um, you know, all the things that people join the military for. You know, if, if I had been able to go to school um, on my tax dollars, I wouldn't have had to join the military, for example. <laughs> One of the things I like to do on Veterans Day is one of the things that I think you do regularly, which is uh, when we talk about veterans that have um, uh, sacrificed for the country, whether they've been injured, whether they've just given their time, whether, unfortunately, they you know, might have ultimately been killed, is really get Americans to think about where we should be committing American military service members. Mm. What do you think sort of the um, the litmus test should be in terms of whether or not the military is committed to a certain place? Because you, you, you listen to some public officials, they are ready to send the military to any country that uh, has even a vague, vague connection to the United States at all. And then you listen to other folks and they think essentially the military should never be sent anywhere. As somebody that's, um, you know, that's been in the Army, wh- what do you think a, a barometer of military intervention should be? I mean, my personal opinion is that the the military should be abolished and that the money that it goes to it should be used to take care of people here in the U.S. and everywhere because there's plenty of that money. We shouldn't intervene anywhere. Um, Everywhere that we've intervened has been for our um, billionaires' benefits. You know, I, I... when people thank me for my service, I say, like, I served Dick Cheney. I, I didn't serve you. I didn't do any service for you. The military doesn't do service for the American people or for any people. Um, that's the big lie. That's the big propaganda. And um, the military has invested billions and billions of dollars into people believing that that we fought for freedom when we didn't fight for freedom. You know, we... We were suckered 
into being owned by the government so that it could make us you know, it's bitches, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not, if I'm not able to say, I forget sometimes, I, I don't know what words we can say on the radio anymore, but that, but I, we, in the military, the military right now, as it is, it is, you know, it occupies every nation uh, that exists on earth. If any nation um, had a base in the U.S., we would be at war with it, right? If, <laughs> but, you know, we we in the military are being used. We're being exploited, just like every other worker in the United States. Um, and I think that's a thing that people don't – people – our government encourages civilians to thank us because what it does is it keeps them from asking why, why we had to do that. Um, we Nobody should have to be in the military. Um, nobody should think that the military is a – uh, honorable path. It's not. It, it It's a path that we take when we are either desperate uh, and have no other alternative or when we've been deceived into thinking that we're doing a service to our fellow beings, which we're not. So you said quite a bit there. I want to try and follow up as, yeah. <laughs> on as many different things as I can in the amount of time that we have. Uh, for starters, I mean, it seems like the, the whole notion of the United States military you view uh, negatively and uh, the things that they do as negatively. Is that a little unfair in that if um, the United States as a country is attacked or invaded either by another country or by uh, some sort of rogue terrorist group, that the very first people to have to deal with that sort of aggression towards the United States or its citizens would be the United States military. Is, is Is it unfair to call that group the first group that would be rushing to risk their lives for other Americans? Uh, is it unfair to call them terrorists? I mean, well, when you think about it, the United States has never been invaded other than the original invasion that genocided the indigenous people who lived here. We were the original invaders, right? The U.S. has never been invaded. Um, Well, I mean, the War of 1812. Right. Right. I mean, but it's not like since since the U.S. has been an established um, entity, let's say, okay, even for the last 150 years, the United States has not been invaded or even attacked by a, a national military from anywhere. Well, what about and, and Pearl when Harbor? you look at Pearl Harbor, right, right? You look at Pearl Harbor, right? And that was, I mean, there's a lot of reading that we need to do about Pearl Harbor and who actually instigated that and what, who actually knew about that. And when you look at all of the attacks that have happened on American soil, like we have the technology, we have been able to see those coming and prevent them. And we've also, in a sense, instigated them by antagonizing other nations. So if we, uh, as the United States were to stop antagonizing other nations, um, we would no longer uh, be worrying about a threat. And um, the fact is that most people in the military right now who could be doing some kind of defense, like the National Guard, for example, if we were to just have a National Guard that were to be on call for any potential invasion, that would be fine. 
um, we don't need to have deployment. We don't need to have a presence in other nations. We don't need to invade and occupy and intervene in other nations in order to have a secure nation if that's what we want. The best way to have security is to take care of the people who live here and to keep people strong and healthy and educated, whereas we don't have that right now. But no, no argument uh, from me. And I, I think that's um, in some respects, and I know you may bristle at the comparison, I think that's one of the things that uh, a lot of folks found attractive about the messaging of Donald Trump in 2016 mm-hmm. is especially in the primaries. He was talking about uh, ending American participation in these never-ending wars and using some of those resources uh, for, you know, projects here at home. Now, in his presidency, it didn't exactly work out that way. But I think that was one of the things that that he said that made him attractive to people that weren't necessarily Republicans. Now, no question when it comes to, um, you know, giving something like $400 million worth of uh, military aid to a country like Ukraine, I think... You're certainly right. It's very difficult to argue with anything that you said. But um, one of the things that I think some people may wrestle with is what if you see an oppressive regime like Nazi Germany or something even a little bit more modern engaged in something like the Holocaust, something like ethnic cleansing or something like a concerted genocide of Jews or others? Um, Does the United States have any sort of a role in intervening to stop that? Well, I mean, if you look at the history of the Nazi Germany, um, you know, Hitler took his inspiration from concentration camps essentially in the U.S. I mean, the U.S. was the original Nazi Germany. We are we are superior at genocide in this nation. We wiped out Native Americans. We wiped out um you know, we, we put Japanese people in concentration camps, you know. The Nazi Germany was Well, we didn't do that until after and, and, World War Two. And well, the Native American genocide right. has but been going the... on for centuries. Mm-hmm. And and when you look at who brought the Nazis home who gave the Nazis um sanctuary, it was the US, you know, we we brought them in. What Donald Trump's family you know, they were Nazis, essentially, in essence. And um, and we have we have nurtured that mentality, that xenophobia. We, we've just transferred it to Arabs and to Mexicans. And uh, so we are essentially, you know, the Fourth Reich when it comes to it. And we we, we were before them and we're after them. We are. Um, holocausting and you know all of when you talk about the way that the U.S. has carried out genocide of uh, African Americans you know for slaves and um, indigenous people like we're pros but but um, I'm not you know defending obviously slavery or what happened to indigenous people or anything but uh, let's, uh, you know, obviously the the people that run things, either the voters or the levers of government in 2022, they they can't be responsible for the things that were done in 1860 or 1760 or, you know, anything before they were alive. So the, the American military exists as it is now. Right. So um, mm-hmm. should should the when the United States military is called upon to. And ethnic cleansing in a place like uh, Rwanda, for instance, isn't that a little bit uh, rather than 
rather than addressing the question of should the United States military intervene in a place like Rwanda or the Sudan, isn't it a little bit of a, you know, a cop-out to say, well, the United States has a history of mistreating people and ethnic cleansing and its own Holocaust uh, a, a long time ago? Isn't it unfair to use that as an excuse to intervene or not intervene in 2022? Well, not at all, because we're still doing that. I mean, we've been bombing Yemen for, mm. you know, for all these years as well. Like, we've been I – mean, when you look at who did 9-11, right, like, it's it's understood that Saudi Arabians were right. the ones who were primarily behind 9-11. Yeah. So, you know, as, as an upstate New Yorker, you know, my aunt worked in one of the towers um, adjacent – uh, to one of the ones that was brought down. And um, so I'm deeply invested. You know, like I I have been thinking a lot about this for many years. And when I realize that we are Saudi Arabia's strongest ally. Yeah, it's disgusting. I say, right, like we're, we are, we are the hypocrites of the world. You know, we say that we are trying to end, um, you know, genocide and end holocausting all over the place but i mean mean, look at palestine for example like we're we are israel and saudi arabia's biggest allies and they are responsible for so much death and so much oppression in the middle east and um and we we're their biggest fans and we support them we give them so many tax dollars joy i um i'm gonna end with this question and then hopefully you can come back and we can continue the discussion uh but Mm -hmm. Um, the United States military and even the the military industrial complex and the whole United States foreign policy apparatus, you know, I, I give the United States and the United States military by extension credit for helping free people from from Nazism and from communism and from other autocratic regimes, even if we're not exactly uh, free of sin and have clean hands when it comes to their conduct in Yemen and our dealings with countries like Saudi Arabia. Can you give the United States credit for, you know, giving freedom to people that were informally occupied Eastern Germany, for instance, or Albania? No, I mean, I would give that credit to the Russians. They were the ones who beat the Nazis. We have perpetuated oppression everywhere in the world. I mean, we have been the biggest oppressors. We are the ones in in the United States. We don't have even freedom of, you know, we don't have the freedom to be educated with, um, without indoctrination, state indoctrination. We don't have the freedom to have health care. We don't have the freedom to question our our quote-unquote democracy, which we don't even have, because mm. the electoral college is not is not does not create a democracy, and we in the United States are um, we are victims of a propaganda machine that learned very very well from the Nazis that you know you can't just overtly genocide people you have to make it in the name of freedom. Joy, we have I, genocided I, I ha- more people in the world. I have than to end it there. I have to end it there. But uh, let, let's continue the conversation soon. Whenever you're up for, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, whenever you're up for staying up late, we'll continue the conversation. I'm already getting uh, a whole bunch of people calling and eager to uh, take a shot at you. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we'll, 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 next time, next time you're on, we're going to have you mix it up with some of the callers. Okay. 
Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you for having me on and letting me speak. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Joy Damiani, uh, she's author of, uh, the, of a book called If You Ain't Cheating, You Ain't Crying, also a musician and a podcaster. You can uh, check out her uh, website at Joy Damiani, D-A-M-I-A-N-I dot com, uh, even if you disagree. You know, I think some of her music is pretty interesting. And I think some of the questions she forces us all to examine about the what the United States is doing in countries like Yemen and in it being associated with countries like Saudi Arabia, irrespective of how you might uh, view her comments about uh, the United States military, I think these are questions worth exploring. And uh, so that's that. All right, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 